But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and get his inheritance. So they seized him, threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Now, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? Please pray with me. Dear Father in heaven, we offer this time to you now. We ask you to join us here this morning as we do week by week. And we trust that you have kept your promise and are here with us. May my words now be your words and all of our thoughts, your thoughts. We ask this in Jesus Christ's most precious name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. When the Roman Republic finally defeated the city-state of Carthage at the end of the Punic Wars, I know this is the first sentence you expected me to say this morning, when Rome defeated Carthage, they decided to make an example of them. Now, Carthage, located on the northern coast of Africa, had dominated the waters of the Mediterranean Sea for centuries, hundreds of years, and even at one point had landed ships on Italy and had threatened the Roman homeland itself. But Rome grew in power and in military might and eventually in 146 BC overpowered Carthage and totally overran the city. But they didn't stop at destroying the city and putting its inhabitants to death. No. As they left, in order to vividly illustrate the extent of their annihilation of Carthage and as retribution for Carthage's threatening of Rome, the conquering legions are said to have salted the fields of the broken city so that nothing could ever grow there again. The Roman intent was to wipe Carthage from the face of the earth and indeed from history forever. And that's what I expect the owner of the vineyard in Jesus' parable, to do to these tenants who have killed his son. Wipe them from the face of the earth and from history forever. But this story, this parable that Jesus tells, is going to show us that that is not what God is coming back to his vineyard to do. He is coming back, let's be clear, to put evil tenants, sinners like you and me, He is coming back to put us to death. Absolutely. But not to salt the earth so that nothing will ever grow again. No, instead, there is good news for sinners on account of Jesus. God is coming back to put you to death in order that he might raise you to new life in Jesus Christ. This week in Matthew chapter 21 We're reading our third consecutive vineyard parable, though this admittedly is the first one that made me think of the Punic Wars. Uh, Two weeks ago, we talked about the 11th hour workers and how it was God's good pleasure to be generous to those who cannot point back to their works done to earn his favor. In fact, that's what grace is, God's generosity to the undeserving Sinners like you and me. 
Then last week we heard about two sons. One who said he would work in his father's vineyard but then didn't. And one who said he wouldn't and then did. And that story was about Almighty God replacing our disobedient hearts with new ones. Hearts that actually love God in light of his mercy and are honored to work in his vineyard. Today, our story has a more violent tinge to it. A landowner has a vineyard and goes on vacation, leasing the vineyard to tenants. And the deal is that these tenants will work the land for some percentage of the yield, probably room and board as well, and the owner will periodically send representatives to collect his share. Of course, in Jesus' telling of the story, this deal does not work out. The tenants treat the representatives of the landowner very poorly, beating them, stoning them, killing them. Multiple times he tries with the same result. And finally, thinking that surely these tenants will respect his own flesh and blood, the landowner sends his own son to the vineyard. But sensing that this might be their chance to usurp the rightful inheritance to the vineyard, the tenants kill the son too. And then... Jesus pivots to a sort of choose-your-own-adventure style. He doesn't tell the gathered people how the story ends. Instead, he asks them how they think it should end. What will the owner do? Jesus asks. And the people answer, like we all would, have you heard of the Punic Wars? They assume the owner of the vineyard is going to send in the Roman legions, Or Liam Neeson in Taken with his special set of skills. Or someone like Kaiser Sose, the fictional villain of The Usual Suspects, who, when his family is killed by Hungarian mobsters, is said to have exacted bloody revenge. He waits until his wife and kids are in the ground, the story goes, and then he goes after the rest of the mob. He kills their kids, he kills their wives, he kills their parents and their parents' friends. He burns down the houses they live in, the stores they work in. He kills people that owe them money. He kills everyone. At the end of all of these stories, no one is left alive. Total annihilation. And this is what we expect the landowner to do. He will put those wretches to a miserable death, the gathered priests and scribes say, and lease the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the produce at the harvest time. He will salt the ground of those people and wipe the face, wipe them off the face of the earth forever. And this sounds good to us, right? It sounds right. In fact, it sounds so right that they made three Taken movies and a TV show. We've been salting the earth of our enemies since the Punic Wars. Maybe really since Genesis 4 and Cain and Abel. Retribution is our favorite. We are in the death business. But our God, our God deals in resurrection. And while the gathered crowd is out for blood, 
He will put those wretches to a miserable death. Jesus says, haven't you read the scriptures? And he quotes them a psalm, Psalm 118, verse 22. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Jesus is pointing out that God has something much bigger in mind than just some dead tenants and a new crop to replace them. Now, Jesus is telling this parable to the Jews. Remember, they're in the temple and it's Passover. And he's telling them that their care for the master's vineyard has been disobedient. They are God's chosen people, the tenants to whom God's vineyard was leased. And they have not been good tenants. When the Lord sent prophets to them, they treated the prophets shamefully. Stoning them, killing them. And finally, God has sent his own son, their Messiah, Jesus Christ. And they're just about to arrest him, try him, and murder him. The vineyard, therefore, God's kingdom and promises, is being taken away from them and given to others. Opened up to the Gentiles. That's the surface level truth that Jesus is illustrating here. But Jesus, is Jesus saying that where the Jews failed, the first tenants, the Gentiles will do a fine job? No. What Jesus will finally say is that no one has been or can be a good tenant. Not unless they are born again. In our reading from Philippians this morning, Paul talks about what a good vineyard tenant he ought to have been. The kind of person who, in Jesus' words, produces the fruits of the kingdom. He says that if anyone should have been or could have been a producer of good fruit, it was him. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the house of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. If anyone could have earned their status as a worthy tenant in God's vineyard, it was Paul. But Paul knows better. Whatever gains I had, he said, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. He counts all of his supposed qualifications as loss. He knows that his whole resume is garbage. He has seen the terrifying truth that he too was a murderous tenant. The stone of Jesus Christ, the stone of God's perfect word has broken him. But the Jews aren't the only ones who messed this up. We too, we Gentiles and we individuals, each one of us, you and me, we are also murderous tenants who would love to get our hands on the son's inheritance. We have been doing this from the very beginning. All, Scripture says, have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all, every one of us, as children of Adam and Eve, both in them and of our own accord, reach up and say about God's creation, the creation that he has given to us to steward, 
Back in Genesis 1, the creation he has given to us to tend, we all say about God's vineyard, this should be mine. That's what the evil tenants say. And that's what we say too. We all want to steal the inheritance. This truth convicts all of us. Like the stone in Jesus' parable, it breaks all of us. This is the first thing that God is coming back to his vineyard to do. To break you. For you to be saved, you must first be broken. You have to come face to face with the awful truth. You are a murderous tenant. And you cannot save yourself. We, you and I, are the tenants who didn't take care of the vineyard. And yes, we, you and I, are even the tenants who killed God's son, wanting that vineyard for ourselves. And if we are still able to turn our eyes away from this truth, it means we need to be confronted with that truth all the more. And guess what? We all do need to be confronted with this truth all the more. We need just this kind of confrontation. This is why we start, for instance, every service with the call for purity. To you, God, we pray, all hearts are open. All desires known. From you, no secrets are hid. Jesus knows your heart, your desires, your secrets. And he went to the cross for them. He went to the cross for your sin. He went to the cross for mine. But not sin in some undefined general sense. He went to the cross for your selfishness and for mine. For your lust and for mine. For your anger and for mine. For your reticence to tell a lost world, and more specifically, your lost friends and co-workers about his saving work, Jesus even went to the cross for that. And all of that sounds harsh to us because we have thickened our skin, or tried to, against this truth that we are the chief of sinners. That we are wicked tenants who deserve, as we confess each week, God's Righteous anger. Now, as you make your confession here with us in a minute, know that the law's accusation is true. It should, like that stone in Jesus' story, break you today. The one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and it will crush anyone on whom it falls. Jesus' parable is intended to put these awful words, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and get his inheritance. Jesus intends to put those words in your mouth. That's what we say, you and me. These words should sound familiar. We echo them every Good Friday when we shout as a congregation, crucify him, crucify him. We acknowledge and confess that this is our rightful place in the story. We are the wicked tenants, and our sin put Jesus on the cross. This 
bad news, that we are wicked tenants, makes us rightfully worried about what will happen next. What will happen when the owner of the vineyard returns? When he comes back, we expect trouble. Liam Neeson, Kaiser Associate, the Roman legions. We expect everyone to die. Now, we must die. That's the first thing that God is coming back to do. The you that would look at God's creation and think, that should be mine. That you must be and will be put to death. But incredibly, even here, there is good news. Because this death will not be the end. This death is not final. There is no salting of the earth here. Because in Christ, there is resurrection. In Christ, there is new life. It is the slain son that accomplishes the salvation of the tenants. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Because Good Friday, with our shouts of crucify him, crucify him, wasn't the end of the story. On Sunday morning, the tomb was empty. There is good news now for Jew and Gentile alike, repentant sinners of every stripe. There is good news for you. Good news for those who believe that Jesus took your name and your sin to the cross. That he died for you, and then he did not stay dead. Remember that the rejected stone became the cornerstone. It's the foundation of everything. The point on which everything else built is built and hangs. Listen to that whole sentence that Jesus quotes from Psalm 118. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. And it is amazing in our eyes. It is amazing in our eyes. So much amazing has been built on this cornerstone. Amazing is incarnation. A holy God becoming one of us. Amazing is atonement. Our sin given to God's son and his righteousness given to us. Amazing is a great stone rolled away and a tomb sitting empty. Amazing is Jesus' claim that he didn't come for righteous people, but sinners. Amazing is you and me, rebellious tenants in God's vineyard, reborn and made new by the blood of Jesus Christ. Far from a final destruction, salting your earth so that nothing will ever grow again. God pours out his mercy on you, planting you, as Psalm 1 says, by streams of living water. He makes you into fertile soil, as we read a few weeks ago in Matthew 13, sowing seeds which through you and me, yes, even you and me, produce good fruit. Some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. And because Jesus did not stay dead, because he was raised to new life and has given that new life to you, God's coming back to his vineyard is no longer a cause for fear. Now 
we rejoice. The stone broke you because you were a sinner. But it didn't stop there. It raised you to new life with Christ. Perhaps it's breaking you and raising you to new life right now for the first time. So say the creed with us here in a moment, confessing your faith in the God who saves you on account of Jesus. Or maybe that stone is reminding you once again, as it has for innumerable weeks, of the power of confession, absolution, and new life. So say the creed with us in a few minutes here for the hundredth time, or the thousandth, the millionth, and feel every word afresh. Either way, submit to God's word. God's word that kills and makes alive. Confess your sin. Call out for a savior because Jesus Christ is merciful. Your sin put him on the cross, but he took your sin, all of it, and gave his righteousness to you. You were dead in sin. Now you are alive in him. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone for you. This was the Lord's doing, and it is amazing in our eyes. Amen.